M A I N M U M U Main Menu Main Menu Welcome to Main Menu for September 12th. I'm Jamie Pauls. This week we have part four of a five-part series on windowized scripting. And now, here's Doug. So it's important to remember that you have those three. You can use the, you can spell it out if you want, but you don't have to when you use those scripts. So that would be important as we uh, start playing with some of this to, to understand, well, how does that work? How did speak work? Because, uh, you know, how does it know that? And in fact, just as an example, I created uh, the hello world.vbs. I have it sitting here. I'm in a command prompt. If I were to just type hello hey. world, hello world.vbs and hit enter, this is the speak hello world, the one-liner. If I just do that from a command prompt, Windows is running, but I'm just running the VBS directly from a command prompt. I get... Directory of F samples. Seems on 2009 direct. Uh, well, I'm going to science. It eventually gets to the error dialog that says Windows scripting host. It threw an error. It says error type mismatch speak. Windows, uh, Windows scripting host doesn't have a clue of what speak is, and so it throws an error. The reason that that works with Windowize is because Windowize is the scripting host. It automatically gave me a speech object, so it's really speech.speak, and that's why it works. So even though you could write a script that could be launched externally, and internally, but what's the point? You're better off to have Windowize launch this application, and you could write it either way. I could have said speech.speak, and then it would have worked whether Windowize launched it or whether I launched it externally, but I just didn't do that. Um, but, but if I did launch it externally, I still don't have my application object, so I would actually have to do a you know, get object or connect object or whatever to be able to get my Windowize application objects and all that business and things like that. But that's just to let you know that the embedded scripts, we do quite a bit of work for you. VB Script does a tremendous amount of work for you to handle COM automation seamlessly and just work with it. Um, some of the development environments that we use, we've got a lot of tools that help script developers deal better with applications of how to figure out what to do. Writing the script is usually the, the easiest part of the whole thing. What takes the most work is figuring out what to do. How do you need to interact with this application? And so we've given you quite a few tools, two powerful tools especially, that allow you to deal with an application immediately to try to figure out what's going on. And uh, the first script that I want to talk about that is available on Script Central, we don't install automatically, but it's available on Script Central, is called um, Amid, I-M-M-E-D, short for immediate. This script, when you run it, it allows you to immediately type in VB script code, or JScript code is also a way you can switch it to be uh, JScript code. But when you pop it up, it gives you an edit box. And I'm going to do that. Um, control, did you install me on these guys? No. That's just IMMED? Yes. IMMED, of course, .wepm is the, uh, is the package that you would get. Um, shoot, I meant to install some other things on the users. I can get it real quick. I can get Jeremy's USB drive. I can get it. Where are you going to get? Oh, you got to download it. Yeah. Um, while you're doing it, though, too, I have these other two samples that I want to put on their machines. I meant to do it in break. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and pop it up. Unfortunately, we don't have them on your machines right yet. So I'm going to go ahead and pop up a meet. So Control Shift Q pops it up. Administrator C Windows. Yeah. Let me get rid of my command prompt. Seems like twenty oh nine. I can't type. Okay. So Control Shift Q. Properties expanded. One of three. So this brings up a dialogue. This is a 
uh, VBScript that you have the source code to, puts me into an edit box that allows me to type VBScript code directly, immediately right here. So for instance, I can say speak, space, quote, world. hello world, oh, quote, world. hello world, and it speaks hello world. I can say print, space, uh, username, Doug I can say print serial number. Doug's copy. Doug's copy is my serial number. Are you putting the serial number in quotes or just... Uh... That's, that's a property. Okay. So I just said print space serial number and that is a property of application. So I could have said print application dot serial number, but I'm given application so I don't have to do that. So it just prints the serial number. So that's a property of application. Username is a property of application. Speak is a method of speech, which I also have. So again, when I did, I could have done S P E E C H dot speak space in quotes hello world. It does the same thing. Hello world. I just didn't have to specify speech because I'm already given that. The only time that would be a problem is if, let's say, I had a method that happened to be named the same in application and happened to be named the same in speech. Then I have a conflict. And then I might have to specify specifically speech.blah if it matches or something. But we didn't do that. We don't, we don't name the methods the same in the different ob objects. But the beauty of having it immediately here is I can do all sorts of I can do for loops. I can say for i uh, equals 1, 2, 10, colon. I can only type one line at a time. And a for loop requires a for and a next. That's two lines. I can't do that in a mean. But I can type one line, and I can use colons to separate the lines. And this one line can be as long as it needs to be. It can be, you know, 10,000 characters long. It doesn't matter. If I separate the lines by colons, it's one line to, to windowize. So I'm going to say 4i equals 1 to 10, colon, print, i, uh, colon, colon, next. And G. enter. There, expanded end of there. I went back. I just hit up arrow because this is an edit box. I hit end, and I hit backspace to get rid of my backslash that I accidentally hit. And now I hit enter. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5... Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And there's my one to ten. So I can type any VBScript code in Mead, and that's what makes it so neat to be able to play with things that you're doing with. But we've also put in, uh, um, you notice that when I said print, print is actually a method inside of the Mead script. So when I said print username, VBScript said, well, I don't know what print is, but there's a method called print, and I'm going to pass it the parameter username, and that method just says display it to the edit box. It just takes its results and adds it to the edit box. That's why print is actually just putting the contents up here. Um, so print is actually a method that we've added to a mead so that you can get the immediate results in your edit box. But we've added some other functionality. Um, for example, you can um, type in outline. This is more of a visual thing. But let's say I have a window object, and I want to see where that window object visually is. And this is, again, it's a side thing, but I'm just going to tell you what it is. Outline is a, is a particular method inside of a mead that if I give it a window object, it will highlight that window to me visually. So, for instance, I put the mouse over a button on the screen. I'm going to say outline, space. I need to give outline a window object. Well, if I look up the mouse object, I can see that I can get a window from the mouse object. So I can say mouse.window. Mouse is an object. Window is a property of mouse that returns the window under the mouse. So I just said outline space mouse.window. And I hit enter, and boom, it highlighted the button that my mouse was sitting on. I visually see it highlighted. 
and then it goes away after a couple seconds. So that's something that sighted people could use to find out, well, where is this window, or is it a window? Maybe it's a windowless type thing or something. So they'll typically take the mouse there and they'll outline mouse.window, and you can actually get that. I could also say print mouse.window.text. S snippets. S ampersand nippets, <laughs> because I'm on the snippets button, and so it just printed that right out, because that's where my mouse is. If I move my mouse over to the next button, hit up arrow to get back to the enter, now I get C clear, C ampersand L-E-A-R, clear. So we can use the mouse button to be able to print information and get class name information and things like that that you're dealing with. Did you see what directory that was in, Mike? Uh, I think it was just samples, right? Yeah, I just copied samples to the desktop. Okay. Um, oh, we probably should have put those in their updated default directory. Oh. Because <laughs> I want to open those. Well, good practice for them. Yeah. Um, another command that, uh, the, the nice thing about a me too is that it remembers, I'm going to bring up the run dialog. Whatever window is active, when I bring up a me, so I'm in the run dialog, and now I do control shift Q, it remembers what was the active window before I pop it up. So if I were to say something like print active window, active window is a property of application that gives me a window object of the active window, and I can say dot title, run. it said run, because that was the active window before I brought up a meet. If I said print application dot active window, so I said print application dot active window dot title, hit enter, I get the immediate window title bar because I overrode Amid's funniness that it tried to remember what the previous active window was. So Amid does some fanciness to try to remember what the previous focus and what the previous application or active window was before you pop it up. So that way I can play with that application window object or the focus window object that I want to deal with. Um, I have it installed now. Oh, you have a mean installed, so you can actually do Control Shift Q, and you'll see this come up with you as well. Another com uh, command that might be kind of useful inside of a mead is sometimes when you want to do something, you can run any line of VB script in here, but maybe the window has to be active for you to make for it to make sense of what you're doing with that line of code. So maybe you want to I don't know um, you want to deal with the window while it's active, but how can it be active if a mead window is the active window? So what you can do is if, if you proceed your line with an at, at sign, then WindowWise will automatically put activation back to the window that was active before you popped up a mead, execute that entire line of code, and when that's done, bring a mead back into the active window. So that's a, a way that just allows you to quickly set activation back there. Now I could have done something like active window dot activate, which sets activation to it, colon, blah, 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 colon, and then set activation back to a meet if I wanted to. But the at sign is a quick way just to put activation back there. Um, I mean, also, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail, but if you have an XML file that has some, uh, some DLLs in it defined in your XML file, you can actually type a command that will cause it to get that XML file and actually display that dialog for you so you can actually play with that dialog inside of a meet 
just be, just with an XML file, you can then bring up that dialog file or the dialog image. Um, if you press Control One Two Nine, it, it's like a memory on a calculator. It will automatically copy the contents of your edit box to the snippet. So if I did Control One, it would take the copy of my edit box and copy it to snippet one. If I do Control Two, it just takes the copy of my edit box and puts it in snippet two. And then I can read those back if I want to. Um, uh, by doing an alt number instead of a control number. So alt one would replace my edit box with snippet one. If I did insert one, it actually inserts snippet one at my cursor position. So again, it's just a quick way if you, oh, this is cool code, I don't want to lose it, you can just store it in the snippet and it will remain there. Even if you shut down your machine, it will remain there. Okay? The script takes care of storing this off in an INI file and everything. Um, so there's a couple other things, but those are the main things. There's, if, yeah, if you proceed the line with a, a tilde, for instance, instead of um, copying the content, it will copy the contents of the output to the clipboard. So instead of saying print blah, you could do tilde something, and it would actually take the contents and put it to the clipboard. Um, so what I want to do, if you guys have this, oh, up, no. let's go ahead and make sure yeah, you run it. Go ahead and close out of a meet by hitting escape if you have it up. Let's bring up the run dialog with Windows R. With the run dialog active, go ahead and do Control Shift Q to bring up a mead. Dialog. And some, the reason I did that is I wanted run to be the previously active window. That's why we closed it all out, made sure run was active, then we brought up a mead. Um, also, actually, before we get into that, I forgot to talk about the other buttons within a mead. If you were to tab out of the edit box, first tab takes you Language. to the read button. Radio button. The first Check. one is language. One it defaults to VBScript, but if you down arrow, it goes to JScript. So now the code in the edit box is expected to be in JScript format. So if you know JScript and you want to play with JScript instead of VBScript, change the language there and boom, you're done. This is the only script that I talked about that was in JScript because it has to be in JScript in order for that to actually run. But we're going to stay in VBScript right now. But again, if you're uh, diehard and wanted to play with that, you can do that. Uh, if you tab again, it will take you off to the save code on exit, which means it just saves the contents of the edit box when you shut down, when you escape out of a mead. When you pop up a mead, it will repopulate that edit box back with that contents, even if you shut down the machine. The next checkbox is remember size and position. You can actually resize this particular dialog. Again, that's something that we allow you to do through our XML formatting, where you can actually set up the dialog to be resizable. And... Um, if you check this checkbox, window eyes will remember the position and size that a mean was set up as and put it exactly back there when you pop it up. And then there's a snippet button that brings up another dialog that allows you to look at the contents of the snippets and copy snippets and do other things with snippets and things like that. There's a clear button to, to just clear the contents of the edit box. There's a help button, of course, and then close. So that's everything inside of a mean. But this is probably the most powerful script that we allow developers to deal with to be able to play with different things. I think it's important to remember that this is a, this is a script that lets you have access to all these script things. So it's, yep. it's kind of neat. And you have the source code to it. You can play with it. It's not complicated. I'm going to make sure I'm back up in the edit box right now. Um, what I want to be able to do is I want to just give some examples of this run dialog that's there. I want to be able to play with this with the Mead script. So, for instance, if you want to, you can keep up with me here. I'm going to set an object to all the children of the run dialog. I want to get a collection of all the windows that are in my run dialog. So because run was active, 
before I popped it up, I can type in set. S-E-T, space. And I'm going to call, I have to use set, because in DBScript, when you set a variable to an object, you have to use the word set. If you're setting it to something other than an object, you do not use set, and you just use equal. So I'm going to say set, and I'm going to call my variable w. It could be whatever I want, but I'm going to call it w. W. Equals. Equals. And I'm just going to say active window. A, C, T, O, C, W. Dot children. R, and type. So I just have set space w equals active window dot children. If I hit enter, hopefully you get no error. That now has the W variable is now a Windows object. And in VBScript, you can verify what type of a variable it is by typing in type name. So I can say print space type name. And then in parentheses, W. Right parent, Windows. Came back saying Windows because W is a Windows object, which is a collection of window objects. Almost every collection that you can get, and a collection is just another term that is used to allow you to have multiple instances of a particular object, kind of like an array, and it's not. But every collection, you can pretty much get a count. That's, that's pretty much a method of all collections. So I could say print w.count. T, 11. There's 11. So that tells me there are 11 windows in my collection. That tells me there were 11 windows on the run dialog. Mine said nine, so does that mean there are nine? I'm in Vista, you're in XP, so that could be the difference. Oh no, I switched over to Vista. Oh. I got nine as well. Maybe different service packs? Three. <laughs> uh, something there. I don't remember how many. Um, oops, Brian Wright? I was, I was dabbling with a foreign loop. Oh, you're playing, all right. Ah, I was trying to do it, but he, I heard error there. So. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's just print off. Let, let, let's go ahead and print these off. So mine. Um, so let's just type this line and stick with me here. It's kind of a, not too long, but it's a little long. We're going to do a for loop through all eleven of these guys, or nine in your case. So I'm going to say for space. I'm going to do a for loop. I equals. Hey, can I help you? Just here to see you guys. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Aaron, did you want to talk about it from left um, So we got four space I equals, and I'm going to type one space T-O space, and I could type 11. In my case, you could type nine, but why do that? Let's just say W dot count. So four I equals one to W dot count. Colon. Colon. Let's do print space. I want to I want to print off the i. I want to know the, the index as we're going down. So I'm going to say i. I. And then VBScript to concatenate strings together, you use the ampersand. So I did print i and then ampersand. And, and then quote, quote space quote because I want to space after my number. Ampersand. And let's do w. w. Because I want to now get a window object out of my collection. 
To do that, I need to give it an index. So I say W left paren I right paren. And that will give me, in the first case, W1. So I'm getting a window object there at that point. Dot class name. Let's do another ampersand. And. Quote, space, quote. Quotes. Just put a space between our class name and the next one. Ampersand. And. And we'll do W left paren I right paren. Right right and this time we're going to say dot title. Period. Let's put another space. I'm almost done. Ampersand. And then quote, space, quote, ampersand. And let's do W left paren I right paren. Dot. Period. Now we're going to get a control object out of this. I want to print the tab order of these controls because I want to dinker with the tab order. So let's say, uh, so W left paren I right paren dot. Control. L. Period. Dot tab order. R. Colon next. And if no typos, you hit enter. One standard one. Two standard type name. And blah, blah, blah. I got all 11 of my windows. Oh! <laughs> How'd you do, Bob? I got Eric's back in the statement. That was a long line. Oh, you forgot an ampersand after one. So go keep going right. Right now, go left. Right there, you forgot an ampersand. Oh, after that quote? Yeah. Oh, right there. Yep. Let's go. So what if you hit enter right there? Oh, cool. Yeah, you don't need to say it's nice. I can't remember if it was a bar and you can also remember you don't have to be at the end of the line to hit enter. You can be anywhere on that line to hit enter. Oh, okay. It's neat that it has a history too. I like that. That's an edit box. You can just go up arrow and go back in and do whatever you want. Oh, it puts each one on a separate line. Too. Mm -hmm. That's because we did a separate print for each one of those. Okay. Now, if you're listening to this, it's kind of interesting that the first thing I noticed when I did this, the very first time, it was like, wait a minute, what's this task? Will, no, um, run in separate memory space. You guys probably have that somewhere. If you tab around that run dialog or you, you uh, have Windows read that entire run dialog, nowhere do you hear run in separate memory space. I'm thinking, and it's a button. Never included in the dialog. They have it hidden and it's disabled. So first thing I did was, well, let's enable it. <laughs> let's see what it is. So in my case, that happens to be Windows 7. That's why I printed the index of I. So in mine, I have seven button run in separate memory space five. It's the fifth tab order. It's Windows 7. If I said print space w left print seven right dot visible, which is a property of window, I get false because it's invisible. Well, this is a read-write property, so let's set it to true. 
So if let's say w left root 7 right root dot visible equals true. If there are one number of arguments. Oops, I'm sorry. You can't. Sorry. Visible is a read-only property of window. If we want to make it read-write, we have to get the control object of this. So actually what I need to do is w left paren 7 right paren dot control dot visible equals true. Now when I hit enter, I get no error. And I see that the um, the particular um, checkbox then became visible. So I see the checkbox in the run dialog. The problem is it's still disabled. It's visible now, but it's still disabled. And so if you go back to the run dialog and you read the window, you'll hear the text, but you can't tab to it. So if I were to say print w left run 7 right dot um, control dot enabled, I hear false. Well, let's set it to true. So I'm going to say w left 7 right dot control dot enabled equals true. Boom, I see now it is now bolded, so it's not disabled anymore. And if you were to go back to the run dialog, you'll see now you can tab to that checkbox. But it's so cool that you can just do this immediately from the immediate window and not have to write a script, which you could. We could have written a script to do all of this, but I like doing it interactively. I like seeing a line at a time, seeing how it works, play with it, and then just deal with it immediately, as so opposed to... Hey, great. What about all those programs that won't let you click next to the other right serial number? <laughs> they, already have, they already have tools to do this. Sorry. To do what again, sorry? If you wanted to, if it had a next disabled because your serial number. Oh. Not quite that easy. Because that's a case where you could enable that button and you could click that button and chances are the application would crash or something like that because yeah. it doesn't have the information it's expecting. There's so. some, I've seen some programs where they force controls and they yeah. say that's, that's Well, that's the... But that's the scary thing with window eyes. In effect, is that you can go in and if you have a dialog with tab controls, you could add another tab control. If there's a list box or whatever, you can add items to that list box. You can so do you, all sorts of things. So this, in this way, you could you could edit the, the tab order values so that they exactly. would actually present in another tab order. Exactly. Instead of you having to trap the tab key and exactly. keep a vector that says what what controls should be next. Right. Assuming it's a standard tab dialog, if it's some customized thing where maybe there is no such thing as tab order in that dialog, they're, they're doing it all themselves. Um, but typically, yes, you can. So you can change that. And we're going to do this with the run dialog. For instance, I'm going to go back, all tab to the run dialog. When I tab off of my edit box, I go to... Run in separate memory space. So from the edit box, I go to my new magic checkbox here that we just enabled. Tab again. Okay. Okay. Cancel. Cancel. Browse. Browse. Back up to so I go in that order. So what I'm going to say is, okay, instead of going edit box, checkbox, okay, cancel, browse, let's go edit box, okay, cancel, checkbox, browse. Okay? So which means I want to put the checkbox after cancel. So what I can do is I can go back up, I can look in my meet window and see that cancel was window 9 and it was ninth in the tab order. And my checkbox was window 7 and it was 5 in tab order. So what I want to be able to do, 5 comes before obviously my case uh, 9. So what I want to do is I want to set the checkbox to 9. And the reason I'm setting it to 9 and not 10 is because as soon as I pull that out, 9 becomes 8. Right. So as soon as I get rid of my checkbox as being tab order of 5, I pull that out. Everybody 
below that goes up one. And so in my case, cancel from goes from nine to being eight. So I want to make my run dialog become nine. So I'm going to go ahead and pop up uh, again, Control Shift Q to bring it back up, and I'm going to say W so, left seven left paren right seven right left paren left right paren dot control dot tab order R equals nine. No error. That's good. I'll, I'll tab back to run. Run. I'm in the edit box right now, and if I tab, I better skip that checkbox. Okay. It goes right to okay. Cancel. Cancel. And after Button. cancel, if all goes well, I should be in the checkbox. Run in separate memory spaces. M. Checkbox. And if I tap again, check. go to browse. Browse. Read. Now I dialog. Open. O. So I've changed the tab order of this. How is that? How does that happen? Is that just the MSAA properties that are being changed, or? No, that's a Windows dialog type property. The tab order of controls. It's a standard type thing. So you can just go in and and adjust that on the fly using standard Windows mm -hmm. methods, window messages, and things like that that you can send to it. That's why if it's not standard Windows or whatever, then this method, you know, there may not be a tap order. The application just realizes, oh, focus goes from this set of box to here, and they do it. And then you would have to write a script that says, okay, from here, trap the tab or whatever, and you know, do that business that you're talking about. Um, but I can do other things, too. Remember that edit box had open as the field name of it. When I tapped to it, it said open, and then read me the edit box contents. Well, I don't like open. Window 4 is a static window, according to my data, and it's, uh, it just says ampersand open is the text. So I can say something like W left, left or N. That was my case, window 4. So 4, four. right paren. Right dot period. Um, control. O L. Dot text. <laughs> or no, I'm sorry, dot title. <laughs> equals, I'm going to say ampersand D. D. O W G. Quote. Doug, not open. So I hit enter. There are objects. Oh, I can do that. Uh, is it text or is it W? That's what I get for doing e off the cuff. E um, e it is text. It's text. Yes, sorry, it was text. So it's W left print four right print dot control dot text equals and then in string whatever you want. Visually now I see Doug. If I alt tab back over there. Run. Test switching. Doug D. F Doug Sun twenty oh nine progressive dot web. It said Doug D. So I use ampersand to make D be the shortcut for that. And so visually I see Doug and D is underlined and all D would take me to that edit box. And that ampersand is that standard Windows notation. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's standard stuff. That's why we see the ampersand in all these other ones because that's just the way we define it Windows knows to deal with that. And so I can change the text in any of this stuff. I can nuke it. I can disable it. I can do all sorts of screwy things in Scrum Dialog. So you have to be a little careful, obviously. You can't just go in there and start doing all this stuff or, or the app may not know how to handle it and you could blow up the app. But it does show you the power that you can go in and, and start tweaking it and doing things to it. Um, and of course, that checkbox, I could have checked it, too. I, I made it enabled and I... Uh, made it visible, but I could have said something like W left print seven right print dot control dot um, I'm trying to go off top of my head here again. Um, checked equals true. And then that would check it. Or equals false and uncheck it. Um, so that shows you how you got the windows out of the run dialog. Now what I'd like to do is get the clips. And again clip is a windowized term. Um, windowized creates this off-screen model. Yeah, I'm just spend too much time. I don't know how to find this. 
Um, a clip is an off-screen model that we, we keep track of all the information on the screen, whether it's text or graphic, its position, its rectangle, all this stuff, the offsets, the font, all that business is stored in an off-screen model. And we keep those in clips. Every graphic is a clip, so that's easy to describe. If it's a graphic, it's an individual clip. If it's text, it's a clip. If it's continuous text of the same attribute, that's one clip. So if I have, um, let's say I'm in Notepad and I have 10 lines, there are 10 clips. Each line is a clip. Um, I can't in Notepad, but let's pretend in Notepad I could bold a word. So let's say I go to the middle of one of those lines and I bold one word in that. That line would now be three clips. The left of the bold, the bolded word, and the right of the bold. Because bold is a different attribute, so it breaks it up into a separate clip. Window Eyes keeps track of all of that as clips. I can then get that entire clips collection. Just like I got a Windows collection, I can get a clips collection. So I'm going to bring back up the mid window. Dialog. And this time I'm going to go ahead and say um, set G space, space C, C equals, equals active window D dot clips. P S. This returns a clips collection, unlike a Windows collection. I can say print C dot count. 24. There are 24 clips in the run dialog for me. And then I, now this window, unfortunately my mid window is partially covering some of the run dialog, so I might be clipping some of my clips. But I could go through and I could print off all of the clips text and get its rectangle and I have stuff in here where I go in and I take the mouse pointer to the rectangle of one of the clips which happens to be cancel and then I manually, I mean I, I issue a command to tell the mouse to do a left click and it closes the run dialog. But we're running out of time so I'm going to skip that. But I mean the mouse object has stuff that I can do to move the mouse around and I can cause clicks and things like that, all based on clip rectangles or window rectangles or whatever I want to be able to do, I can get it to go there. So that's a longer than I should have spent on a mead. But that is probably your best friend for testing out and just playing with things. If you don't understand why something's not working, just play with it and tweak it and see what you can come up with. The other one that's going to be your friend, I'm going to escape out of a mead, the other one that's your friend, it's Aaron also installed in your system, is called WeEvent. And um, WeEvent allows you to look at all the events of the, uh, from all the different objects. Just like a mead lets you play with properties and methods, you could do events on it. I could actually create a sub in a mead because I could do sub space my, my sub colon uh, blah 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 colon n sub hit enter. That created that, that function right in the mead space. And then I could then connect an event to that particular method inside of a mead space. Again, I can pretty much do anything a full VB script can do inside of a mead. Um, just by creating all that business. So I could do events inside of a meet, but it's not as convenient. And so we created a Wii event, which is Control-Shift-Windows-E. Possible events, application. This pops up a window with uh, several checkboxes of all the different objects. Like there's a checkbox for application, Braille, browse mode, keyboard, mouse slash mouse pointer, MSAA, event source, shared objects, speech, and window. And Depending on which checkboxes I have checked, I can tab over to a list box, and all of the events relative to those objects that I have selected will now be in my list box. Now, for me, they're all checked, so I have how many different events do I have here? Available events. T. Application. On hotkey. No selected item. Mode selection. List box. One of 96. So there are 96 events, and that's not all of them. That's just the ones that made a sense inside of We Event. But that's when I checked all of those, I have 90-some-odd events that I can actually fire on. But 
that's almost too many of those. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to uncheck all of these. There's a check none button that just unchecks them all. And then I'm going to go to window and check it. I've only checked window. Now if I tap over to the events. Window on after job select, no selected item, multi selection, plus box, one of 18. So there's 18 events for Windows only, uh, window only events. But I'm going to say, I'm going to go to the window on child focus. Window, so, window on child focus. So I arrow down in my list box to window down on child focus and hit space. Space, window on child focus, 11. So that tells it to hook the event window dot on child focus. If I bring up the run dialog with Windows on, dialog, and I start tabbing around, okay. visually in the event window, I'm seeing these events fire, and I'll show you how you can get there too. When I tab OK, I see uh, window.onChildFocus, handle equals blah, module name equals shell32, class name equals button, title equals OK. I tab again, Cancel. I see another button. event that says event 4, window.onChildFocus, blah, blah, class name is button, title is cancel. Now, if I bring a meet, or we event back up again in focus by hitting Control Shift Window Z, I can tab down to the set box. Lock, lock, lock event for window on shell focus. Handle one million forty nine thousand three hundred module name shell thirty two class name button title cancel. So I can see that data. I can go back to my edit box and I could actually then look at what all events were actually fired as I'm moving around. We event also allows you to log it to a file. There's user interface. Again, we event is a VB that we created that you have the source code to, by the way. But there's UI in here that says enable logging, and then you can give it a file name. And so, in addition to going to the set of box, it will also go to a file on disk. And you could actually get it that way if you wanted to. Um, some other people do their own um, debugging by um, outputting information to the clipboard and appending it to the clipboard. We give you a clipboard object that you can read the contents of or append to or replace and you could actually put, do your own debugging to go right to the clipboard. Um, we also give you an, a method called output debug string, which will go to a debug window. If you're connected to a debugger of some sort, it will output the contents of that to that particular window. So that <clears throat> we event and uh, Amid are going to be your two best friends as far as testing and playing with different methods and objects and events and things like that that Windows provides. So I'd strongly encourage you to get those so that you can play. Um, quickly, and then we're going to go into writing an action, uh, a more powerful type script. The other thing that I wanted to talk about, again, I don't want to spend much time on external scripts, meaning ones that Windows didn't embed. It's not the scripting host. But I wanted to show how easy it is to actually get that. And for instance, I'm going to bring up Word. Start menu. So I'm going to go into Microsoft Word 2007. Microsoft Word. And it has a thing similar, which actually gave us the idea of doing Section one of one. It has an immediate mode window as well for being able to execute VBScript within Word. It has its own version of that, I think. Microsoft Word. 11 takes you into the Microsoft Visual Basic immediate window. And I can do Control-G to put G. focus in there. I'm at the exact same type of thing, only not, it actually doesn't have all the functionality of our immediate script, but it has the same idea. Only now they've given me the Word objects, application object, and I can do things with Word. But if I want to get to Windowize from here, I could do something like set space. I'm going to say windowize object. I just picked that. Equals. I'm going to do get object, which is a VB script command, get object. And then in parentheses, I'm going to say quote, quote. Uh, the first parameter just has to be double quote, comma. And then in quote, 
and then we're going to go through it line by line. But before I did that, I tried just doing some things with Amid, because remember, Amid is our friend. And there's a couple things that I thought of. One is that, that pixel resolution down there. What is that? Is that a window? Is that just text? How am I going to get that from a script? Because that's, again, writing the script is a piece of cake. It's knowing what to do in that script that's, the, that's a little I, bit more I didn't So what I did was, while I had this dialogue up, I brought up Mead with Control-Shift-Q. I mean, graphic, arrow, graphic, left, graphic, graphic. Resizing. Now, the problem with that is, is, in some cases, depending on your screen resolution, Mead might have covered up the window you're trying to deal with. And so you may have to resize it or move it around or whatever to be able to deal with it. That's, that's a, an issue that we have to... I proposed an option in scripts on, in Mead, which I told Aaron, which I think you should do, have an option that says, when you pop it up, resize yourself so you're not covering the active window, if possible. So that way, immediately, when you did Control-Shift-Q, if, if its default size would cover in any way, display properties dialog, resize it and move yourself so that it doesn't do that. So that way you wouldn't have to try to move it around and get it off of it. But anyway, so I have a mead window up here. So what I did was I just got my mouse pointer on top of the, the pixel size. And if I were blind doing this, I would just find the word pixels and it would, or you know, do next clip or whatever mechanism you want to do to get the mouse on it. And then bring up a mead window. And then I would just go ahead and type in something like, um, print mouse.window.classname. It's a static. So this is a static window, so that's good. Which, if it's a static window, that means it's probably got a control ID. Every window can have a control ID. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. So I could say print mouse.window.control. And R O. Um, Control ID? Period. L. It's mouse window dot control ID. Even I don't remember all these elements. control it. My famous password. Error object. All right. All right. Mouse window dot ID. I knew I'd get there. So it's mouse dot window dot control dot ID. Now I thought it was control ID, but it's dot. First you have to get a control object, then you get its ID. And 1814 happens to be that control ID. So when I originally wrote this script, I have to make sure that this is going to work on all operating systems. So I went into XP's version of display properties, and I did the same thing, and it said 1814. I went to Windows 2000, it said 1814. And I also checked to make sure no other control on this window had a control ID of 1814. So I did the work for you we can be guaranteed that the control ID of 1814 is this window. And the beauty of that is I can specifically tell window eyes to go find the control with an ID of 1814 for me. And that will come in handy a little bit later. I could have done other mechanisms to try to find this window. I could have searched for the word pixels in, in any static clip window or whatever. But it's just quicker if you know the control ID to just go there and get it. So that's how I actually got that particular window. So where was this dialog in, in Vista? Oh, in Vista, you do. Oh, no, I'm right click on this. Start menu. Under control, control panel, right? Under control panel. Yeah. Control. Appearance. Appearance stuff. XP. Data personalization. Network personalization. Personalization is an option under control panel, and then display settings is an option under there. Oh, okay. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Same place. Color, graphic, left. 
And they change the wording around on these things drives me crazy. Um, also, you have tap controls on your XP version of the display settings. I don't. I just have monitor, one tap control only. And so again, I verified that the other tabs didn't have control IDs that conflicted and everything. So that all worked beautiful with that. And so then I also did the same for the trackbar. I did. I, I just made sure yeah, the trackbar or you could have had focus on it before you brought up the mead window. And then I just said print uh, miles.window.control.id. 1808 came up with that particular one. So I can be assured, and again, I did the same testing under XP in 2000, that control ID of 1808 just kind of makes you feel how much work Microsoft really does between operating systems. It's pretty much the same dialogue and all, all the way from 2000 up. Um, so anyway, 1808 is that particular one. Then I also did the thing for the word resolution. I put the mouse on the word resolution because I wanted to use it also to be spoken. And there I found a little discrepancy. I found under Vista it happened to be 1854, and under XP it happened to be 1818. And um, 2000 was the same as XP. So that was the only difference I saw between the two operating systems. So I had to, I had to take that into account to be able to deal with that. Um, so now I have a script that Aaron put on your desktop, which we want to move. <laughs> um, where did you put it? And it's on the desktop in a samples folder. Which one is it? Um, three, this is script three, so you'll well, there are only two. So you copy the contents of your samples folder that's on your desktop, copy that into your user's default folder. Which I can tell you, a quick way to get to the user's default folder, if you bring up WindowWise, go to the file menu, and select the uh, set active profile option, which is L in the file menu. That brings up a dialog with several things, but one of the cool things is a button called Open Profile Path. If you do an O to select that button, it'll actually launch Windows Explorer in the user's default folder, so you don't have to even worry about that big long name. You can just jump right there using that button. So we're going to copy the contents of all of the uh, all the files in that sample folder on your desktop. Those four files, copy those into your user's default folder. Okay. And. So in window active, a window window wise, uh, you go into uh, go to the file menu. Okay. And then go down to um, set active profile, which is L from the file menu. Uh, <clears throat> and in that set active profile dialog, you can just shift tab three times to the open profile path button, or do an auto. And the launch explorer directly in that uh, put that put you directly in the user default folder. Okay. Then you can just copy, select the files in your samples folder with Control A, copy with Control C, and then I'll tab back over to your user's default folder and paste with Control V. Really cool. That's a quick way to do it. Uh, like it says, there's 404 items in here. There are 404 items in user's default. Okay. So if you go back over to your samples. Yeah, I already got. You got it just copied. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, in your user's fault, you just paste. Uh huh. And you're all set. Cool. All right. So everybody got them in there. Yeah. Good. Okay. So now, while your display settings dialog is the active window, make sure that's the active window. 
and then pop up window eyes because we want to associate display our control panel 3.bbs to this display setting dialog. So while that's active, pop up window eyes, Alt F for file, M for menu sets and scripts, M for script manager. You need to make sure you check the check uh, radio button that says application window eyes, uh, Windows host process run DLL32. That's what Vista says. Uh, XP might be slightly different. So all P is the shortcut for that radio button. But it's important you have that radio button selected or else we're going to make this a global script, which wasn't designed to be global. So once you have that radio button checked, then you can do Alt-A for load. And Windows will automatically default to your default directory. So you can just type in control panel 3. What's wrong? Oh, you want to do all yeah, the right? but there's no there's no scripts for that yet. Yeah. So now do all the A for load. And now type in control panel three. Oh, you load it first. Okay. You have to select the radio button because that's how you make the association. If global is selected and you load it, it would be global. If application is selected and you load it, it becomes application specific. Again, a user wouldn't have to mess with this because they're just going to install your script. They get the easy job. You guys have to sweat a little bit. So now, uh, I'm going to hit enter on mine, and it should show status of running, blah, blah, blah. So we escape out of that, go back into the display settings, and now when you tab down to that, what do you get? Resolution 1440 by 900 pixels are 5 of 6. I hear exactly what I want to hear. And if I arrow, I hear exactly what I want to hear as I arrow through that trackball. Is it working for both of you? Oh, all three of you, sorry, Jim. <laughs> so let's take a look at this particular script and see what it does. It's not difficult at all. I, I can tell you that you can see that it has a three after it because I actually had a couple renditions before this, and I won't go through the gory details, but it, I, I went into some dead ends, and that's what you do. I mean, I tried creating something, I thought I had a good idea, and oh, that wasn't the best way to do it. And it took me three attempts before I finally had, ah, that's the best way to do it. There's never just one way, of course. So let's edit Windows that script. So let's go back M. to the file, manage and script, for Windows manager, Alt-I to edit I. it. Mine loads in Notepad++. Well, let's just go through this line by line and go together with it. It's only 30 lines, so it's not a horribly long script. And the only reason that it's this long is because I did it right. I did all the little detail things that we should have done for a script. And actually, let me show you some of the things that I did for this. I'm going to go back up. Leave your editor alone. I'm just, I went back into my script manager dialog. First thing you notice, I have a version. I have a description. Um, there's a help options if I do all day. Okay. It brings up a help dialog and shows me that. So I made sure I did that as I, as I deal with this. So that, just little things like that. And my next rendition um, will allow you to define a hotkey to do something special and redefine that hotkey and all that business as well. So I, I made sure that we did it the way that we suggest users create scripts. So anyway, back in the editor. The first line just defines a variable called XM, my XML. 
And in, um, in VBScript, you can use dim to define the variable. I didn't have to do that, but it's probably good programming to do that. I need to get more in the habit of doing that myself. And then I, def I set that variable equal to, and you'll see I'm setting it to client information dot script path, because that, remember before you were setting things, you did like client information dot version equals blah. Well, script path actually is a read-only property that tells me the path that my script was run from. Windowize fills that in with the path. So that way I get the path of where my script is, and I just did an ampersand to concatenate, and then in quotes, backslash, because the path doesn't have an ending backslash, control panel 3.xml. My XML file has some strings in it that I want to use. It doesn't have a dialog in it yet. This version doesn't have a dialog, but it has strings that I want to use. And you might say, well, why do you need strings in an XML? The main reason is, is that you keep all the strings away from the code in an XML file that the user can easily localize to something else. So even if I encrypted this script, all my strings could be in an unencrypted XML file that a user could easily localize to another language and keep my code encrypted to where nobody can see it. So that's the beauty of keeping all of your strings. And if you just want to change something, it's nice to go in the one file and change it and not have to find it in the code and tweak it and all that kind of stuff. So we'll, we'll look at the XML file in a bit, but that's all I'm doing there. And the next line, again, defines a variable called myStrings and does a set myStrings equals strings, which is a method of application, and then gives it in parentheses the variable that I define to the path of my XML. Strings is a windowized application method that takes an XML path, the path name of an XML file, it goes off to that XML file and loads all the strings into the variable myStrings. And that's a dictionary object, I think, isn't it, at that point? It returns it back as a dictionary object, which is a standard com thing that, that everybody has. Um, so now myStrings is a dictionary object of all my strings that can be localized. And the beauty of this is, I won't go into all detail, but Windowize figures out what language it should find. So my XML might have 20 languages in it. Windowize will find the correct language based on some heuristics and some ordering that the script author could provide to tell it what language to actually select. And that's the strings my script's going to be using. So a guy in Poland could load your script, and boom, he's going to see Polish strings. A guy in the U.S. is going to run it, and he's going to see English strings. Just all automatic. Just that concludes this edition of Main Menu. We trust you've enjoyed the program. On behalf of Jeff Bishop and the entire Main Menu team, I'm Jamie Pauls wishing you and yours a great week.